preach to you. Um, if you have your Bibles, could you uh, turn it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And, uh, well, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Dear Father, we just thank you and praise you for this uh, wonderful night you've given us, Lord, as we uh, just consider all the things that have happened in the past, Lord, the past years, and as it's uh, coming up to a conclusion of this year, Lord, and the start of a new year, Lord, I pray that we just have our hearts open to a desire to please you and uh, strive to want to serve you better. I pray that uh, what's said here tonight, Lord, would encourage us and motivate us to want to do that and do our very best, Lord. We just praise you and thank you for the great God that you are, the things that you do for us, even though we don't deserve it. If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, pray you'd work in their heart that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. We ask you all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. Well, it's finally the end of the year, or almost. We are saying goodbye to 2010 and saying hello to 2011. If you're like me, you find that years as they go by bring many challenges to our lives. In those challenges, we are faced with choices. I believe we are free to make whatever choice we want. But as it stands, there are right choices and there are wrong choices. We need to make the right choice. It's pretty pretty simple and pretty logical. We need to make the choice that pleases our holy God. So as we get ready to examine 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, I ask you, are you making choices that are pleasing to God? Are you expecting to please God in the choices you will make in the years to come? What I want to address specifically tonight is this uh, subject of pleasing God. The Apostle Paul had some instructions for the Thessalonian church on what they needed to do to please God. Paul knows that the Thessalonian church is trying to walk in a way that pleases God. They are actively involved in trying to do this. While there's problems in the church that he addresses throughout the book, he knows that this is what what their goal is, what they're trying to do. And, the, and he knows what they're doing, but he's asking them and he's urging them to do it more and more. His goal for them is to not settle where they are at, but strive for their absolute best and to do more. Paul gave them instruction how they should do this, and he tells them what God desires from a life that is pleasing to him. Like the Thessalonians, we need to live a life that is pleasing to God through sanctification brotherly love, and hard work. Now, as we examine the text, we'll uh, start in verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, 
and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. As uh, we are going to examine the passage, I'm just going to take it verse by verse. Um, Honestly, at the beginning, uh, before I got here, I was thinking I wasn't going to have enough time, but I think I'm just going to have the right amount of time. So uh, just bear with me as we're going through this. Uh, Verse 1, it says, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received us, how ye ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know that commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. And this is what we want to examine. We want to examine the will of God. Paul is exhorting and urging the Thessalonian church for, their, uh, for them to desire to please God. And he's teaching them how to please God. And this is the instruction he gives us. First and foremost, we're looking at sexual purity. Even your sanctification, that's in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Sanctification is defined simply as to set apart, be made holy. And then as we uh, examine sanctification, we see how we uh, are to um, be active in that. First off, we need to abstain from fornication. Now, fornication is any sexual act, thought, or speech that is impure and not in the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. We are to have nothing to do with that if we are to live a life that is pleasing to God. Verse uh, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. This is where we're getting uh, into uh, how to specifically deal with it. When we look at possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, that's talking about controlling your body in holiness and in honor, in being respectful to your body and uh, showing it reverence as the temple of God. We need to control and discipline our bodies from sexual impurity. Our body is God's temple the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as God's dwelling place, it must be sanctified. It must be holy. And and, and we need to honor that. We need to respect and have reverence for it. We look at verse 5. It says, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Not as submitting to the... That's that's, uh, referring to not submitting to the passions of our lust, as the world does. The world has appetites, sensual appetites, that they will satisfy without any thought they will not think about what god thinks they don't know god and as they are set apart from him they desire to fulfill their own selfish and lustful desires and we are to be different than they are not of this world but in it living but but in it living a holy life that is pleasing to god now if we look at this uh, uh topic of immorality we want to just uh take a look at some modern issues that are in our world today first and foremost it's all over the television. It's in the news. It's homosexuality. Now, we know God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So, therefore, it's one man and one woman, not two men, not two women. And also, we also look at another issue that's rampant, even in our society, even to the ones that uh, we're close to, people living unmarried together in homes. Um, that's an issue that's rampant where uh, a young man and a young lady will live in the same home together without being in the bonds of marriage. And uh, in, our so- in our society today, it's considered acceptable. But here in the Bible, I tell you it's wrong. It's not, there's nothing right about it. And uh, that's something that uh, people deal with in this world today. 
Another thing that's uh, rampant in our society today is pornography on the internet. Today, we live in a technological world. Everything is at, available at our fingertips from every type of media, resource, sports, music, anything and everything. And pornography is one of these things. I can, I can access the internet on my cell phone, so I have access to whatever I want. So that's something that I, is, that's an example of how easy things are to access, and that is one of the problems that we have also. Now, we look at verse 6, that no man go beyond, that is, transgress and defraud his brother in any matter, this matter specifically. Now, you don't just hurt yourself. I'm going to explain this. You don't just hurt yourself in your immoral actions, but everyone that's actively involved in your life suffers as a result of your sin. Examples of those consequences, that suffering, unwanted pregnancies, uh, illegitimate children being born, and then to cover up for the sin, children being aborted, the killing of babies, sexually transmitted diseases, it's, uh, just, uh, it's a rampant problem. You think of AIDS, HIV AIDS. You think of um, all kinds of issues like that. Broken homes. Uh, a, a husband being unfaithful to his wife or a wife being unfaithful to her husband. It results in uh, divorce. And we uh, know from personal experience, me, myself personally, how troubling that can be. Ruined testimony and ministry to others. You're not only hurting just these, you're not facing just these consequences that deal with the physical and the emotional, but when you stand before people socially, you have the uh, issue of hurting your testimony before God and before others. And if you have a ministry, many men in ministry have fallen prey to these sins, and they've lost their ministry. Because the Lord is the avenger of all of these things, as also forewarned you, that's the continuing, uh, continuing in verse 6, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as also we have forewarned you and testified, God will hold us responsible. This is, uh, we'll explain this. God will hold us responsible, and it is he who has the final say, the final vengeance. We can be forgiven of our sins. There's always forgiveness of our sins until, until we're dead or we're raptured, um, until we're taken out of this world. We... Um, we can be forgiven our sins, but that does not mean that the scars will go away and the consequences will be erased. There is always going to be some sort of penalty in this life. And it's not, that we're, it's not because we're any less forgiven. It's just we, we, make, we, we put those situations upon ourselves when we make those wrong decisions. We continue on. We look at verse 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, that is impurity, but unto holiness. Purity. God has called us to be pure. And if it is our desire to please him, we should live a life of sexual purity. It is God's calling, not something we established ourselves. Because it's God's calling, not man's, we are obligated to be pure as his children, as he is our heavenly father and he commands it. He has called us to it. 1 Thessalonians 4.8 He therefore that despiseth man, despise, uh, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath given us, given unto us his Holy Spirit. Paul here is emphasizing that God is the one we disregard in this matter, not man. It is important to keep in mind who and what really matters for the choices we make in regards to our purity. Because God has the final say. And not only that, he mentions the Holy Spirit here. 
What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, he indwells us. We are, if we are saved, if you are saved here tonight, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when we commit this sin, just like any sin, we grieve him. And we, and we grieve him when his temple is defiled. If we are to please God, we need to be morally pure. The second thing I want to touch on is brotherly love. Uh, verse 9, it says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. God, all over the Bible, talks about love, talks about his love to us and our loves to others. It's throughout the teaching of his word. Jesus Christ himself, God the Son, taught about love. John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John thirteen thirty five. the next verse. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17 in chapter 15 of John. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Paul taught about loving others. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love and honoring, preferring one another. That is, esteeming others higher than ourselves. Romans 13.8 Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. Peter taught about loving others. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto an unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 John 4, 7. John's, uh, John uh, taught about love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The Bible has multiple references on loving others. It is a command from God to love others, and he clearly instructs us to. In verse 10, this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. And indeed ye do it. They are actively loving like they're supposed to. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. Paul knew that the Thessalonians were loving others, and they were doing what they were told. There was no need for him to give them any instruction on how to do it, because they were doing it. But he beseeched them. It says later on in verse 10, But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Paul is emphasizing that their love should not be idle, but increasing more and more. That is, if we're going to be loving others, if we identify our, we're going to love others if we identify ourselves with Christ. We love through giving, giving of ourselves, of our time, and what we value. Now, as he continues, he says in verse 11, and that ye study to be quiet. Love is peaceful. And this idea of studying to be quiet is this living peaceably among others. And we need to be at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and before all men. We should not make life difficult for others, but build others up. We should not be one to cause divisions. If we are to please God, we need to be loving and at peace with others. The third and final point I want to address is doing your own business and working with your own hands as we commanded you. That's the next part of uh, verse 10, I believe. Um, no, verse 9, sorry. Uh, in this time uh, that, the, that this passage was being, uh, was being uh, written, Greek culture frowned on manual labor. Uh, you could say the Greeks, the younger Greeks, were lazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, the idea of uh, it was more for you should be living a luxurious life, not one that's... Uh, Uh, focused on manual labor and hard work. But Paul is lifting it up. And not only is he lifting it up, he's commanding it. 
He speaks later in 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, verse uh, 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. The world we live in today is full of lazy people. There are people that will work and will work very hard and are rewarded little, while there are people that don't work at all and live like kings. Paul says if a man doesn't work or he isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Laziness is a sin. And if you are able to work and not willing to, you're sinning against God. Work was before the fall. That's an interesting fact right there. God wanted men to have dominion over the earth, to till the ground. God says that it is a blessing to work. Uh, We look at verse 12 as we continue on. It says that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. Walking honestly is this idea of walking properly, that Christians are not taking advantage of the wealth of other believers or other people. They're not being lazy and bringing shame upon themselves from unbelievers. It's a shame for a man when he can work but doesn't, and it sets a bad example and testimony for non-believers and young believers alike. We should be willing to work and work as best as we can. And I'm not limiting that to... I'm not saying that if you can't work, you're in, you're in sin, but if you can, you should do, and you should be willing to. As we continue on, uh, it says, and she may have lack of nothing later in that verse. That not only does it affect our testimony, but it also... But, it's, but work is also a means of provision. We should work so that we are dependent on nobody and we are able to provide our own way. We need to work hard if we're to please God. Now, if, uh, as we're concluding, we've seen instructions from God's word on how to live a life that's pleasing to him. We should strive to be morally pure. We should live a life that's set apart from fornication that the world takes part in. We should love and give to others, but not lightly. It should increase more and more every day. We should not be lazy. We should work and set an example to work that we have a good testimony among others and that we have need of nothing and are dependent on nobody. The world is full of lustful, unloving, lazy people. And I challenge you, if you desire to live a life that's pleasing to God, then you will consider this instruction from Paul. You will not be taking a... You will, be motivated to not take part in the uh, activities of this world. If you're struggling in these areas, you've been sexually impure, you're unloving and not able to be at peace with others, if you're dealing with laziness, then I'd ask you to humble yourself before God and before man. Make it right and get help and encouragement. Get prayer. Pray. It's a brand new year approaching, and I believe it's another chance to take each day and make it a day Make it a day where we can walk and please God. Don't take this lightly. We owe the Lord our lives, and we deserve to give him our very best. Pastor.